0: If you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them and open them up. And uh, we're going to read Ephesians chapter uh, 3 verses 14 onwards. Uh, And uh, we're getting real this morning. We're going to keep it real. How many people know that people who talk a lot about keeping it real are usually the fakos, right? Just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real. They're usually lying to you uh, when they're saying that. I'm just keeping it real, man. Often that's just an excuse for the fact they've just said something incredibly offensive, I'm just keeping it real, man. You're really ugly. I'm just keeping it real. Uh, Anyway, you know, I I really believe, I've got a a growing conviction that one of our biggest challenges as Christians is that we allow everything to come off the ground. Uh, You can see it in church history, throughout church history, you can see it in the artwork. They'll draw a picture of a saint, and they'll draw a halo around their head. And if you look at some of the old ancient artwork, the saints, their feet don't touch the ground. They're, they're always painted with their feet just that much off the ground. And, you know, the Christians that non-Christians hate the most are the people whose feet don't touch the ground. And, you know, one of the reasons Jesus was hated so much by the religious leaders of his day was that Jesus' feet did touch the ground. That he was a, the reason, one of the reasons that they didn't recognize the real Jesus was because he was real. If he had been somewhat phony and religious and fake, they would have embraced him, the religious order of the day. If he'd been more mystical or more mysterious, they would have embraced him. If he'd pretended to be sort of more weird and otherworldly, they would have embraced him. But the fact that he was a carpenter, that he dressed the same as the other rabbis, that, he had, uh, that he, had, he had 12 followers like other rabbis, except that all of his followers, all of them, every single one of his followers was unqualified to be a follower. The fact that Jesus was real and more real than any other human, isn't that a crazy, here's a crazy thought, Jesus is more human than you as well as being fully God. He's more human than me, as well as being fully God. The fullness of God dwelt within him, but he still had parties with friends. He still baked breakfast, even in his resurrected state. Jesus is meeting with Peter, right? And and, and Jesus is, after his resurrection, Jesus is trying to pull the band back together, right? And what does Jesus do? He cooks breakfast on the beach. Why? Not because it was some sort of metaphorical statement, though most of what Jesus did was metaphorical and awesome as well. But mainly because they guys would have been hungry because they'd been fishing all day, all night. That's what I like about Jesus. The thing I like about Jesus is the more I study the Scripture, and I'm not like I'm not like a study studyer, but the more I've been at church, listening to sermons—that's what's most of what we call studying Scripture. Right. Reading my doing my devotions, right? But the more the more I get to know Jesus in my just in my journey as a person, the the more really becomes. Hey, you know, it's almost like Jesus moves into the neighborhood, like the Message Bible says that Jesus becomes more like me as I understand it. I can relate with Him even better, and so we're going to keep it real this morning, right? But I'm not going to say offensive thing. Well, I'm not going to intentionally. Say offensive things, but um, but we're going to keep it real because I think I really do think our biggest challenge is that we that that we don't that, we, that 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 our Christianity becomes something that happens on Sunday, happens in the quiet of the morning before we go to work. But the rest of the time, our feet don't touch the ground. Our, our faith doesn't actually connect us to the world around us. And I think it really needs to. Amen? Well, let's have a look at the Scripture. Maddie's going to throw it on the screen for us, which is lucky because I can't find my Bible. Uh, I've got my New King James, but I can't actually understand it. So uh, the New Living is good. It says this, if you've got it, read along with me. Oh, not out loud, that's confusing, but just in your head. Uh, is that all right? If your lips move, someone next to you is going to call you out. When I think of all this, I fall on my knees and I pray to the Father. He's the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that, this is my prayer, I pray that from His glorious, unlimited, everyone say unlimited, okay, these are unlimited but also glorious resources. There's one thing to be unlimited, but God's not just unlimited. He's not like just, He's got all the wheat you can eat, right? That's not God, right? He has got all the wheat bix you can eat, but He also has bacon and eggs. It's unlimited resources, but it's also glorious, right? It's not just pine trees, it's beautiful trees, right? Uh, a glorious, unlimited resources. I pray that He will empower you. Everyone say empower. Empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. That's an awesome verse. Then Christ, then, once you're empowered with strength from God, then Christ will make His home in your hearts. As you trust Him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power. Isn't it interesting? You have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, How long, how high, how deep His love is. Verse 19 goes on. May you experience the love of Christ, even though it's too great for you to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all of the fullness of life and power. Everyone say power. Power. That comes from God. You'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God as you experience His love, right? Now, this is the famous famousest verse in Ephesians. It's one of the famousest, famousest verses in the New Testament, right? And it's probably one of the most badly used pieces of Scripture, right? Along with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is right up there with the one that we pull out of contest, Right? So in Philippians, Paul says, I don't need your money because I I can be happy poor and I'm happy rich because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And then we take that and it means I'm going to get this job that I'm not qualified for. I I don't need to study for my exam because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need to pay my bills. I don't care about the power company because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to jump off this tall building. Uh, You know, the reality is that that's not what Paul was meaning. But this one here says this. Now, right, the now means now after all of what I've just read, And all of the other part of Ephesians chapter 3 and all of Ephesians chapter 2 and all of Ephesians chapter 1, right? Ephesians chapter 1 told us how big and how awesome and how massive God was and His glorious plan. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about grace and that it was not about us, but it's about God's favor extended to us and He works in us to recreate us because of purpose. Ephesians chapter 3 coincidentally talks about the fact that there's not a division between Jews and Gentiles anymore which is pretty important for us in modern multicultural church. There's no barriers. There's also no barriers between Christians and non-Christians. There's not a barrier. There's just people that God's working through, right? Right? Ephesians chapter 3 then says, because of the fact that God's so big and His grace is extended to you, and He's working now through all people in the world, not just Jews and not just church people, right? Not just white people, and not just brown people, and not just uh, Tamil people, right? But through all people, right? God's working through all people. And because God's working through all people, now Paul says, when I think about all of that, now I pray. I'm praying that you, you be strengthened, that you be enlightened, that you be empowered. And then at the end of all that, once you're strengthened, enlightened, empowered, now all glory goes to God. And God is able Because His power is working inside you, or through the power that's in you, God is able, because of the fact that you've allowed Him into your world, because He's working inside of you, because God's working inside people, He's able. Reverse it back. If God's not working inside you, God's not able. Now that he's working inside you because he's working, now because of everything he's done, his glorious plan, his grace, that he's broken down dividing walls, he's working inside your heart. Now God's able because his mighty powers at work inside of you, right? It's like now that we've plugged the toaster in, we can make toast, right? <laughs> It doesn't matter how good the toaster is until we plug it in, right? And His power is at work within us. Now He's able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. And the Amplified Bible says, Now God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above, far over and above, anything that you may ask, think, or imagine, infinitely beyond your highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires. I want to suggest to you this morning that we need real power. We need some real power. I don't know about you, but I need real power. I need God working in my world. I would like an infinite God to do infinitely more in my life than I can imagine. Infinitely more than I could pray for. Infinitely more than I could hope for. I've got hopes for Wellington City, but my real prayer is that God would work inside me. Because that would make God able to do more than I could hope for. I've got hopes for my family, for my kids growing up. I hope that I could be a good dad, right? But my real hope is that God would work inside of me so that He would do through me and in my family more than I could pray, believe, hope, wish for, dream for, infinitely beyond that, right? I pray you've got a career hope. How many people at university have got a hope to finish, right? Rather than just stop, but to finish, Right? But you know, what our biggest prayer should be is the same prayer that Paul's prayed. Who's this Ephesians church he's writing to? It's a massive church. They're changing their whole region. This church is a powerful, powerful church he's writing to. He's writing to them. And you know, there's a lot of things he could be praying. There's a lot of things Paul could be praying for them. He could be praying that the culture of the day would stop killing Christians. How many people know that if, if that was normal, like if it was normal in Wellington for Christians to be murdered by various different political or economic interests, right? They used to kill the Christians in Ephesus, particularly the leaders, because of the economic influence the church was having, right? Uh, well, Rome, it was more political, but in Ephesus, it was more economic, right? Now, if that was happening in Wellington, how many people know it would be something we would pray about? yeah. <laughs> Maybe after a few weeks, right? When a few of us have gone missing, right? Hey, we should probably pray about this, right? Paul could pray about that. He could pray about the, the political, the evil influence of political Rome in the Mediterranean. He could pray about that, couldn't he? He could pray about the sick people in church. He could pray about the stupid people in church, because I don't even know there's stupid people in every church, right? We call them pastors, right? Paul could be praying for the pastors. He could be praying for the worship team. Paul could be praying for finance because this church needed finance, right? But instead of that, what does he pray for? And I think this is where our focus has got to be. Because of God's glorious plan, because of His grace, because there's no dividing wall and God's working among people now, then Paul prays this prayer. I pray that God, the Father of everything created, from his glorious and unlimited resources, would strengthen your inner man, it says in the old version. Inner strength. Well, thank you, God, for the inner strength, but what I really would like is a million dollars. Thank you, God, for inner strength, but what I really need is a promotion. Thank you, God, for inner strength, but what I really need is for my wife not to be so painful and, and difficult. Thank you, God, for inner strength. But what I need is for my kids to just do what they're told. Do you know what? You don't need any of those other things. You need inner strength. You need need strength inside of you. You need the power of God working inside of you. Do you know all of the external things you complain about, all of those external things, all the pressure that's coming to bear upon you, all of those things are things God has allowed. I'm really sorry. They are all things that God has allowed. I have. No, I'm not going to get there. I'm not going to go there. I have no idea why He would allow that to happen to you, but for some reason it's happened. Maybe it's not that God had. It's not that God has ordained bad things to happen to you, because God never ordains bad things to happen to you. Bad things happen, and then God says, "I'm going to use that bad thing that happened to develop this person." Right. Awesome. I just need a volunteer. Well, let's, get, uh, let's get the amazing James. Could you be my volunteer over here, James? Okay, everyone say, what I need is inner strength. Okay, so stand there, James. I'm giving you, I'm giving you up here as an example of strength. No, I'm not, I'm not really, but anyhow. Okay, so I've got a couple of encouraging verses from the Bible for you. Is that all right? Let me read you this one. It says this. Okay, this is intended to be encouraging. Uh, Proverbs chapter 24, Maddie's going to throw it up, verse 10. Um, how many of you have ever had a hard time and you've fallen apart and collapsed? You just you were just useless and you just failed. Okay, everyone. Put, yeah, you, the rest of you, you failed your opportunity to be honest and open. Um, let this. Uh, Proverbs chapter four, verse ten. This is for people. Uh, if you have, if you've fallen over in a hard time, this is for you. There we go. If you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. Ah, oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how many people are encouraged by that? Those moments when you're not strong enough, it's because your strength is too small. If, if you fail under pressure, do you know what, what it's saying here? Is if you fail under pressure, the challenge wasn't too big. Oh, that challenge was too big. No, your strength was too small. Oh, how many know that that's a little bit too honest, right? How many people know that actually that's actually almost too hard to hear? Uh, here's, a, here's a more encouraging one from Jeremiah. I like this. this is the middle of Jeremiah's life where Jeremiah's been persecuted. He's been things like thrown into a pit. Uh, he's had all sorts of trouble and he's complaining about it to God. And God says this back to Jeremiah. He says this. Ah, he doesn't say that. Five, try five. Verse 5, not 15. Ah, if, if racing against mere men makes you tired, how are you going to race against horses? Oh, here's it. Here's, here. I'm in university and this is such a struggle and I'm falling apart and I'm getting drunk a lot to try and cover the pain of my emotional damages, right? If you, if you can't run and win at university, how are you going to run and win at work? Oh, man, our first year of marriage has been so tough. I might just chuck it in. Okay, the first year of marriage is awesome, right? It's really tough. But number seven, wow. Right, If you can't run through year one, how are you going to run through year seven and year 14 and year 28, right? If we can't run where we're running right now, if we can't run on the treadmill God's got us on now, how are we going to go when the Holy Spirit comes up along next time and just goes like this? Beep, 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 beep. Come on, if we can't run on the flat, how are we going to run up hills? And oh, so, do you know... The challenge is this, the challenge is this, this is James. When God created James, He created someone who could run with horses. When James was born, James was born from God's creative plan, James was born into a world of sin and brokenness, right? Which means that James has been injured, damaged, loaded down with stuff that he wasn't designed to carry. So now... Because of that, James gets tired even when he's just running against mere men. It doesn't change the fact that God's plan was for James to run against horses, right? It was God's plan for James to carry great strength so that in the day of challenge, in the day of battle, that he wouldn't fail, right? The fact that James and all the rest of us fail in the moments is because we don't have the strength we were designed to have because we we're born into a world of sin. So what God does is that God takes... Implement so imagine that I'm a like a, a like an amazing artist, a sculptor, and God's like the sculptor and he starts to recreate James, right? He starts to recreate James and take him from being someone who can only who falls over running against men and we're gonna make him into someone who can run against horses, right? So what was it what what what's God gonna do to James? Is he gonna say, Oh James, you struggle to run against men and I want you to run against horses? So you need to lie down and have a rest. If you're designed to be strong and powerful, but you're, but you're injured, and, and, and you've been healed by Christ, and now you need to strength, God wants to strengthen your inner man, how do you make something strong? You make something strong by putting it under pressure and gradually and steadily and constantly and continually increasing the pressure. That's how you make a muscle strong, isn't it? Right? And you have to rest it, right? You train three days a week and you rest a few days, right? Or if you're real crazy, you just train in the evenings and rest in the mornings, right? But your muscle rests and repairs itself and gets stronger and stronger, right? But what do we do? What do we say to coach God about all these new training ideas He's got for us? I much prefer the, the just, just worship and I, I much prefer my feet just off the ground and a halo around my head. And God's like, no, I want your feet on the ground and I want you running hard. Why? Because God wants to build strength in us. Because if we faint when we're running against men, we'll never run against horses. So if we faint now, we'll never be able to do what He's called us to do. Do you get it? God's got this plan, right? And the thing right now isn't the plan. It's the thing that's going to get us to the plan, right? It's going to move us forward in it, right? So let's say I'm the sculptor again. And imagine James is just a plain block of marble. And I'm the sculptor. I'm God, and I'm going to get out of the marble. I'm going to release the thing that I'm calling into existence. Am I going to hug the marble? Is that going to bring James the sculptor out? No, I'll take a chisel, and I'll take a hammer. I'll take a bit of financial pressure, and I'll hit it with a bit, with a bit of emotional uncertainty. I'll take a little bit of relational confusion, and I'll hit it, I'll hit it with a bad relationship with your dad. Right? Why? Why? Why is, why, is God, why is God allowing this? Because there's, there's this beautiful sculpture that God wants to release into this world. There's this thing that's in you that God wants to release into this world. And so God takes a chisel and He takes a hammer and He begins to work. The, the, the prophet talked about the, the potter who, who shapes the clay. On the wheel. That's what God does. He's shaping us. He's changing us. He's transforming us, right? And what do we do? We're not focused on the end result. We're not focused on the artist. We're looking at the hammer and the chisel and we're crying. (laughs) Where if we could focus on what God's wanting to do in our world, or if we could focus on God himself who's at work in us, then we get to verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 3 where God starts to be able to work in us because He's done something. He's, because He's at work in us, He's able to work through us and transform the world. Give James a hand for being such a wonderful sculpture. Thank you, James. Does that make, does that make sense? How many people you really do, you really find yourself just whining, and complaining about the tools that God's using? Really, really. That's where I find myself a lot of the time. Oh, I can't believe the e-group leaders won't send in reports. Well, maybe God's wanting to teach me how to manage people better. Oh, I can't believe, I can't believe the, the kids just won't listen. Classic parent quote, eh? The kids won't listen. Do you know, their ears work fine. Do you know what I've found? My kids listen at school. They listen at school. Why wouldn't they listen at home? Maybe it's the tone of my voice is a little bit hard to pick up. Maybe they can't hear as I'm throttling them. That's not, That's just a Homer Simpson reference. But come on, it's too easy just to, to look at the tools God's using, the hammer and the chisel, the pressure that we're under, and just focus all of our attention, all of our energy, all of our worry, all of our fretting is focused on this pressure that's coming to bear, rather than saying, God, what are you doing in this situation? And do you know what God might say? The devil's at work, and then you can go to war against those things that are coming against you, Right? Or it might be that God says, come on, I'm wanting to change how you think about how the world works. Amen? Um, write this down. We serve an unlimited God. We serve an unlimited God. He's unlimited. He's not just unlimited, He's glorious. Write that too down. It's Glorious, unlimited God. Glorious, unlimited resources. When we pray, we're asking God to give to us out of His glorious and unlimited resources. When you're looking for financial breakthrough, you're looking for financial breakthrough from a God who's glorious and unlimited. When you're looking for, when you need emotional support and you need a lift in your spirit, you're asking a God who has glorious and unlimited resources, right? If you think with a scarcity mentality, you will empower sin in your life. If you think with a scarcity mentality, you will always empower sin in your life. If you think that God doesn't have enough money, you'll find ways of making your own, right? If you think God doesn't have the right partner, the right husband or the wife for you, you'll go looking for one yourself, right? If you think scarcity, you will always empower sin. When you think God's glorious and God's unlimited and God's at work and I can trust Him, then you empower God's plan in your life. Amen? Very, very good. Okay, so there's four one two three four one two three four dynamics that Paul prays into, right? How many people agree we need this inner strength? How many people believe that Wellington needs a body of people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit so that he God is able to do infinitely more than we could ask, think, or imagine, right? Do we have Do we have agreement there? That's what we want. Well, there's there's four dynamics that we need to begin partnering with the Holy Spirit and begin learning in our life so that we can get to the now. Now God is able, right? The first of them is this word, trust. Everyone say trust. That's one of the four dynamics. The second is that we need to grow roots. Everyone say roots. Number four, we need to under. Number three, <laughs> my bad. We need to understand. And number four, we need to experience. So we need to trust. We need to grow roots. Understand and experience. One of my favorite little verses in Scripture and one that I pray all of the time is uh, this, this one thing, that Christ may be more and more at home in my heart. Christ, he would be more and more at home. When I was 11, I was at a uh, kids' camp, 11 or 12, and um, the speaker um, on one of the one of the nights was like a bonfire, right? A bonfires are always awesome, and so there was a fire, and he was talking away. Um, and I, uh, the context of the bonfire was a uh, was around a salvation decision where you pick, you could take a stick and, and that represented your old life and put it on the bonfire. It was it was pretty awesome, but the context and the, the thing that he spoke about um, was just this verse, Ephesians chapter three, verse. No, not Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Revelation 3.20. Wow, weird. Uh, anyway, uh, Revelation 3.20, uh, where Jesus says, um, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. Uh, anyone, anyone who opens the door, I'll come in and have fellowship with them. I'll, I'll eat with them. I'll build a life together with that person, right? And that's the truth of who Jesus is, right? That's the reality of who Jesus is. And this guy was speaking, told this whole long story about, you know, Jesus knocks on the door of our heart. And then for a long time we just we just talk to Jesus like through the letterbox on the door. Hey Jesus, I need some money. And Jesus slips some money through the <laughs> Hey Jesus, I'm freaking out. And Jesus sends some peace through the letterbox. And I don't know, you could be a Christian a long time and just relate with Jesus like that. How are Jesus is there? What's the weather like out there? <laughs> Do you want some toast? And as we do our offerings like that, you know, just a bit of toast jammed through the door back to Jesus. Here's some, here's, here's some, you know, here's a bit of money. Here's a bit of toast left over from breakfast. You can have it. Just some tea. And, and the whole relationship with Jesus is like that. He's Jesus out on the porch and he's nearby. He's keeping bad people away and all that. But he's just this guy who's sort of around the place. But the reality is that we begin a relationship with Jesus once we open the door. Jesus has the power to kick doors down right? That's where he went to hell and did that. He's not going to do that in your life. Jesus is not going to barge into your life and suddenly make everything better. You actually have to invite him into your life. And, and then he went on, this guy, this speaker went on and told the story of, you know, you invite Jesus into your lounge room and Jesus is sitting in the lounge room. And every now and then Jesus keeps getting up and wandering towards the kitchen. But the kitchen's a bit of a mess, right? So you're, you're always trying to distract Jesus by other things in the lounge. Just keep him in the lounge. Because while he was on the porch, you were tidying out the lounge. And you keep him in the lounge, all tidy. But Jesus is uh, once he's in the lounge, he's sitting on the couch and he begins to relate with us. And it doesn't take long before he's in the kitchen pointing out the dishes. And then he's in the bathroom pointing out the mess. And then he's in, in the bedroom pointing out the clothes on the floor. And, we've, and, we've, and our life begins to change as Jesus just relates with us in our house. And at some point, he likes to get under the stairs and deal with the things that you put there. Right? He doesn't go there all the time, right? Everyone say, Amen right? And we don't go there much on Sunday, right? But at some point in your life, we call it a midlife crisis. Uh, you can call it burnout. You can call it anything you want. But often it's the, the situation that is arising because there's stuff under the stairs that you're going to have to dig out. And sometimes those extra things that come uh, into our life are, are symptomatic of the fact that we haven't taken the right moments to address those things. And there's sort of a bit of a backlog and you have to get the skipping and... You know, the, you know, professional exterminators, uh, <laughs> commercial cleaners. Uh, but if we allow Jesus to relate with us, it begins working in our world, and Christ becomes more and more at home in our hearts. Have you ever wondered what 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 makes Christ at home in our heart? What makes him feel relaxed? Because you sort of think, well, Jesus would be at home in my heart if I was more holy. I'm not suggesting for a moment that you shouldn't be more holy, right? The Holy Spirit, you know, whatever, wherever you're at in your journey, address the things you need to address and become more holy. Become more like God. But it doesn't say in this passage, it doesn't say, as you become more holy, Jesus will come more and more home in your heart. When, if you become more spiritual, like now you can prophesy, now you speak in tongues, Jesus will be more and more home in your heart. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say as you get better at evangelism, reaching out to friends. It doesn't say as you give more. It doesn't say as you travel around the world doing missions. It doesn't say as you fight for environmental freedom. It doesn't say any of those things. It just says Christ becomes more and more at home in your heart as you trust Him. It's your trust in Him that makes Him more at home in you. And I, I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know that God's calling you to trust Him. Oh, but yeah, yep. There's pressure, huh? Right. There's pressure. If you're alive, there's pressure, right? Welcome to. Welcome to the planet, as the song says. There's pressure. There's a challenge. You know, oh, it would be so much easier if my life was like Pastor Jordan's. Oh, I'd be so much easier if I if I was Alistair. Life would be so much easier if I was at university. Life would be so much easier if I was working. Life would be so much easier if I was married. Life would be so much easier if I was single. Life would be so much easier if we had kids. Life would be so much easier if we didn't have so many kids. Right? Every one of us are thinking, well, it's easier out there. But the reality is we, we, are, we are who we are, where we are, what we are. And the pressure that we're under, we've got to trust God. Why can we trust God? Because He's glorious and He's unlimited. We can trust Him. Now, I know that that's like, oh, well, cool, yep. It's a bit of a Christmas card, Christianity thing. Well, trust Jesus, right? But it's true. As we trust Him more and more, He becomes more and more at home in our heart and we're transformed. Amen? Okay, we've got to let our roots grow down deep. It says in the Old Translation, we've got to let the roots of our life grow down deep. Into His love. pretty interesting. I, I like the idea of roots, and it makes sense in our life that we've got roots, and we think about our roots in terms of our culture, and in terms of our, uh, our background, and those are roots as well, because the roots of our life are the things that give us strength, Right? They strengthen a plant, but they also uh, connect that plant to the nourishment that it needs, right? So we're nourished by our cultural background. It encourages us. It gives us a sense of identity. It gives us a sense of purpose. We're strengthened by it. We can recognize our place in the world. And that's what people call roots. Do you know what I mean? That's the nature of the roots movement in the States was that African-Americans were connecting with the African identity to try and find nourishment and strength, right? That's That's what the whole thing's about, right? But Paul's talking here about our Christian journey, our relationship with Christ, that our roots need to grow down deep. And so the idea of roots makes sense to me, right? The the things in our life, the hidden things in our life that, that give us strength need to grow deeper, right? But I love the soil that Paul uses. Because the roots are growing down deep into His love. Like if if you had to answer the question, like, oh, what are the things that bring strength and nourishment to the Christian journey? The Bible, Jesus. What are the what's the thing that makes you strong? He says here, trusting Him. And then allowing the roots of your life, the place where you get nourishment from, the place where you get strength from, your identity, your sense of self, needs to be grounded in, deep into the love of God. Isn't that cool? Not the power of God, the gloriousness of God, the great God's creative plan. Not the Scripture. All those scripture is important because it, it articulates the love of God. But it's actually His actual love, not the Scriptures about His love. It's His actual love that strengthens us. It's His actual love for us that nourishes us. It's His love for you. It's not the miracles He might do for you. It's His love for you that will bring a sense of identity. I bring a present for the kids when I've been away. But the present is not going to last, right? Especially if it's chocolate, it's not going to last. But what's going to nourish them and give them a sense of identity is the love that motivated me to buy the gift, right? I don't know where your focus is when you relate with God, but it's got to begin to focus. You need to begin to focus your life on His love, how much He loves you, how much His purposes and His thoughts are towards you, that you're the roots of your life, your sense of identity, your sense of strength, your sense of self is found in His love. That all of the time, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week you're sucking up nutrient out of the soil of God's love. Come on, where are your roots? Where are you sucking up nutrients? TV, not a great space. Your university study is a great thing to study and learn, but don't let your roots grow into it. Oh, I'm awesome because I've got a degree. Well, brilliant right? That's not going to hold you in your whole life, right? And if it does, your life was too small. The thing that's going to hold you in the sort of life God's called you to, the places He's called you to go, the people He's called you to relate with, the challenges that you'll have to face, the only thing that will hold you is that your roots are deep in His love, right? Once our roots are deep in His love, that's where our nourishment comes from, our strength comes from, our sense of self comes from. Then we'll have the power to what? Understand was my point number three, my dynamic number three. We've got to understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love really is. When do you understand? As your roots go into it, that's when you understand. If, 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 if your roots aren't growing into God's love, your understanding of the the shape of God's love will never develop. Your roots aren't growing if you're not trusting. I'm trusting you, Jesus and my roots are growing down into your love and I'm beginning to see really how big your love is. The, the, the journey of maturity as a Christian, the reason we get less and less judgmental as we journey as a Christian is because, we, because our roots are growing into God's love and we realize God loves beyond our sin. He loves me beyond my sin. And we start to understand that maybe God loves other people even though they're sinners, right? And then we were, when we we're immature or when our faith was immature, we thought God hates sinners. But, and, and, and as our roots go down, we begin to see two things more and more clearly, how much He loves sinners and how much He hates the impact that sin has in their life, right? And you only get to experience that as your roots go down. That's how you understand it. You have the power to understand once you've got the roots in. Once you've got roots in, right? And then it says this, that you begin to experience His love. Everyone say experience. If you've ever been to Hooker Falls, how many people have been to Hooker Falls? Uh, just off State One near Taupo. How many people have not been to Hooker Falls? Give me a quick wave. Put it on your list of things to go to. Uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. I guarantee you, it's awesome. Every time I go there, I must have been there a hundred times. Every time I go there, it's like... (gasps) You hear it, you get out of the car, you can hear it. (sighs) And then you get there, it's not like a normal waterfall, it's a horizontal waterfall. It's just water charging through this narrowest of chasms. And it's bright blue and white foam, and it's just... (gasps) And it's going so fast, you can't really see it. You throw a leaf in it, it's like... wow. And you can't, you can't take it in the noise, the spray, the f- power of it. You can't even take it in. I'm explaining it to you. Those of you who have seen it know it a bit more than those who haven't seen it. So I can explain it to you. You could go there and see it. But you know, it would be a whole other thing to experience hooker falls. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone experienced Hooker falls. Because that's less recommended, right? Because we can look at it and see it. But what about being in it? Do you know why you should give generously? Because then God will provide for you. And then you'd be like, wow, God provided for me. You won't. You'd be like, wow. I'd heard people talking about this. I'd seen it. Now I'm flowing along in it. Do you know why you should go on a missions trip? Somewhere dangerous? On the Gold Coast with Alistair later in the year? Do you know why you should go on a, a mission trip to the Gold Coast? Because then you experience the love of God. Do you know why you need the challenges and the pressures that you're facing in your life? The, one, of the, one of the reasons God's allowing some of the challenges in your life is so that you, in it all you will experience His love. Oh, I felt this pressure and then I've, and I prayed about it and then I experienced God's love. Do you know why you should bring your prayers to God? Really specific prayers, asking Him to change things inside of you, asking Him to change circumstances around you, is so that He can answer your prayer and then you can go, wow, God answered my prayer. Except you won't, because that's that's just how you do it if someone else said it. You're like, wow, yeah, great. Someone else's prayer got answered. But when God answers your prayer, something shifts inside of you. You go from just hearing about, looking at, you go to experiencing the love of God. That's why I love to praise and worship. That's why I praise. I always jump. I have a commitment to myself. In the first chorus, I'll jump. Because if I don't, I'll be like, by the end of the second song, i am like, oh, I didn't really get around to jumping. But I pushed myself to praise God and I lift my hands in worship. And I could be distracted by my sermon or I could be distracted by the fact that, that you know, the, um, the, often there's a random chair on stage to annoy me, but there isn't today. But there's all these other things that could distract me and they could distract us, right? Or it's cold in here, it's hot in here. Uh, you know, drums are too loud, the keyboard's too quiet. You know, there's all these that could distract us in praise and worship. All the things, all the things outside of this room that could distract us. But I push myself into worship because I don't want to just talk about God's love. I don't want to just hear about God's power. I want to experience it in my journey, in my life, in my weekly devotion, my daily devotion. And now as we worship together, I don't want to just gather with all you guys and wave my hands and sing a song. I want God's love to impact me so I can experience it. Because I want to be complete in all the fullness of God's power, as Paul says. I want Him working in me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not satisfied and I hope that you aren't satisfied or content to just have a life that's slightly better because Jesus is on the porch or a life that's slightly better because we've got a bit of eternal perspective that we can bring to our challenges. I want to live a life and I want you to live a life and have a desire to live a life where God is able to do exceedingly Abundantly above everything that you would ask, think, or imagine. Infinitely beyond your highest prayers, hopes, dreams, or desires. God wants to do that. You know, Shay, God wants to do in your life more than you know. More than you think you could possibly know. He wants to do it in you and He wants to do it through you. And it's not about the fact that God's chosen you because you're brilliant. Yes, you are brilliant. But God's chosen you because of His grace towards you and towards your family. There's people in your family and your heritage who have prayed and you are the answer to their prayers. God's gonna do in you exceedingly, abundantly, above. Amanda, I, I, I just keep noticing you today. And I just feel like God's saying, come on, the things that are happening in you are all about the next season. He's working in you and you've been like, mm. but He's saying, come on, don't focus on the challenge. F- f- begin to lift your eyes and vision. There's a whole, there's a whole, there's. A, I really believe, I just can see God just wiping out like a window, wiping condensation off a window. And He's like, wow, mountains. <laughs> and actually what you thought was the world is just the living room. And actually there's, the whole world beyond the window and then the world beyond the mountain you see. And God's bringing you to real, into a space of vision. And there's almost like there's an invitation in heaven. You know, uh, somewhere in Scripture says there's an invitation to come up here and see. Come up and see. Might be John was invited to come up and see. And God's the invitations over your life as well to come up and see. Amen? Yeah, You have to smile at me if I'm prophesying because I'm like, what? Even if it's just like, why don't we stand to our feet should we pray I don't know where everyone's at but I hope that I've found you somewhere I hope the Holy Spirit's found you that found you in the middle of a challenge maybe found you in perhaps in a space where you really are struggling to trust and uh, I want us to pray for inner strength is that alright because I think that's what you need with whatever you're facing you need inner strength how many of you have heard the Scripture says that um, these three remain faith, hope, love? The greatest of these is love. Hope, the Bible says, hope is the anchor for our soul. And it brings us to a safe harbour. Hope brings us to a safe harbour. And what they used to do in the old days, they would take the anchor, they'd put it in the little rowboat, they'd row the boat into the harbour. The ship's still way out there. They'd drop the anchor in the harbour. That's Jesus. He's our hope. He's our anchor. He's in the harbour, Right? And then they'd have this rope, which is attached to the boat. And then they would, it's what's called kidging. They would just wind the anchor in, wind the boat into the harbour against the wind. So hope is the anchor for our soul. I, I like it like this if you think of the movie Up. Hope's these balloons. Right? hopes these balloons, and and faith is the string that connects our everyday life to this eternal hope. And love is the thing that makes it any different to anyone else around us. Faith and hope will be a saint with our feet slightly off the ground, whistling through life, but love brings us to the ground and says no, because God loves me, I can love the world around me. Amen. Why don't you close your eyes, maybe lift your hands. I just want to pray. Holy Spirit, we're... I pray you'd find us this morning, Lord God. We, we, when people are in a space of challenge, Lord, I pray the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you'd surround them. Come on, whatever your challenge is, maybe you begin to pray. I could pray for you, but maybe you begin to pray as well and just say, God, this is where I'm at. Maybe you want to put some words around or try and put some words around how you're feeling. God, I'm feeling like I'm under pressure. God, I'm feeling like maybe I'm outside of your plan. Maybe you feel like that, that God's excluding you or God's distant from you. Look, God, we feel this pressure, but Lord, we just choose to trust in you. Right now, Lord we, just, Lord, we bring our anxieties to you, Lord God. We bring our fears to you, Lord God, and we choose to trust in you.